He is risen. Amen. He is risen indeed. Well, we are thrilled that you're with us today. Let me pray for us before we get started here. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who overcame death and opened to us the gate of everlasting life. Father, I pray right now, just a special touch for every person here in this room, every person here, every person might be watching by live stream, Lord God, we thank you. As we celebrate with joy this day of resurrection, Lord, may we be raised from the death of sin to life brand new, Father God. For those of us who came in here with burdens, with things going on, that we need a touch from you, we need answers from you, we need miracles from you, Lord God. May you raise us from hopelessness, Lord God, to the hope you bring to every situation by your life-giving spirit through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you, God, now and forever. Amen. Hallelujah. I got to tell you, Easter could not have come quickly enough for me. It's been a long Lent for some of us, am I right? I'll just give you a little quick story of something that happened. You probably are not interested in this, but I'll just tell you anyway, because I got the mic. Last Sunday was Palm Sunday, and we, you know, we did our thing, and we had service, and then went home after church, and uh, I'm looking in the mirror, and I'm married. I'm married to one of those truth tellers. Gentlemen, do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And they're good for us, you know, in kind of like a colonoscopy kind of way. They're, <laughs> We need them. And so I'm just looking in the mirror and I'm just having one of those days. Everybody, you know, you have one of those days. I'm sure everybody else is like this. I'm a words of affirmation guy. So I like that kind of verbal encouragement. So I'm looking in the mirror and I'm just like, honey, sweetie, I'm fat and I'm old and I'm ugly. Could you just, because I have to ask for compliments. I have to do this. And so could you just, I don't know, give me some like affirmation to sort of counterbalance that. You know, I'm just feeling old and fat and ugly today. And she said, well, I think your eyesight is perfect. <laughs> so that was really, I can't say that it was, no, she didn't say it. That's a, that's a joke from Norm MacDonald. Uh, it was just, I thought it was so hilarious. But I think we can all agree that is something Melissa would say because she is a truth teller. Uh, grace and truth, all at one with Mel. By the way, speaking of Mel, she is back there with our kids today in Kids World. We have wonderful Kids World ministry going on right now. And uh, if you came in late and you have children, take them back there. They're going to have a great time back there. And uh, you know, it would be a, such a blessing. It would just be such a blessing is if nobody would tell her about that joke that I just told <laughs> after service. That would be great. Okay. So it's Easter Sunday. We're excited. It's, it's like in, in church world this is like the Super Bowl of Sundays, right? And, and everybody's like, I brought all my friends who don't come to church. Don't screw it up. You know, so there's a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure on Easter Sunday. Some people call it egg hunt Sunday or chocolate bunny Sunday. And if you're in more like evangelical circles, they call it Resurrection Sunday, right? You say like, Happy Easter to an evangelical, and they're like, it's Resurrection Sunday. And you're like, okay, all right. Because <laughs> it, well, it, it is, we're celebrating resurrection. There was a, a tweet that came across the, the Twitterverse on Friday, it was Good Friday. And I think this tweet was from like a college professor. And her Good Friday tweet was just this. It was just an annual reminder Dead people stay dead, you know, which was very helpful. And the comments that just came in and, and barraged this poor woman with, you know, how unkind, you know, how dare you and all this kind of stuff. But actually, I really resonated with, with her comment, right? Because we do believe some really weird stuff, 
right? When you think about it. I mean, let's just start with virgin birth <laughs> and go from there. That's where our story starts, is with a virgin birth. And so, of course, of course, uh, somebody's going to come along and say, this is ridiculous. You know, a whole bunch of people uh, believe, have swallowed this myth that 2,000 years ago, this dead guy rose from the grave, and that 2,000 years later, that somehow, you know, matters to me. To, uh, of course, of course. And so let's just start this morning um, by acknowledging, yeah, this is a weird story that we're about to tell. And for some of you, I mean, let's be honest, some of you may be sitting there and, and you just don't buy it either. Uh, and I don't blame you. But for many of us, myself included, the resurrection of Christ actually makes sense of the world. And, and this is a story that makes sense of our experience with the risen Jesus. And we're not saying even that you have to just take it on empty faith, because uh, there are reasons why we believe that this was a historical thing. Uh, but nevertheless, nevertheless, we can be gracious. For those of, who, of us who have heard this story so much, we forget sometimes how weird it sounds, right? And, uh, and, and this woman just gave me a great reminder of, yeah, yeah, we're kind of odd to tell the story that we're going to tell today. And the Bible, it turns out, acknowledges this. And we're going to look at a passage here. We're going to go to a passage in 1 Corinthians. Um, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. The things will be on the screen. And uh, let me see. Let me get my little screen mover working here. Okay. 1 Corinthians. Now, this is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the, the church in this ancient town of Corinth. And keep in mind, this is a brand new church, and it's made up of entirely brand new Christians. Why? Because there are no old Christians yet, right? The, the, the church, the whole church has literally just been birthed in the planet. And so, and, and so everything is new. Everything just started existing. And so he's writing to these people who've just come to the faith. And here's what he said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. And gospel, again, that just means good news. That just means something uh, of an announcement of something that is very good. The gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you have taken your stand, by this gospel you are saved. That's rescued. And if you hold firmly to the word that I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. It says, verse 3, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. So ours is a received faith. We're not just, we don't just make it up as we go along. It's a received faith. It's passed on to us. And he's also been talking for 14 chapters here already about lots of issues that this church has been having. This church has been having a lot of issues, trust me. Um, but this, he's saying, this is of highest importance. And here it is. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to Peter, and then to the 12, that's the 12 disciples. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Paul goes on to say he also appeared to me, even though I wasn't part of that original crew. So Paul's reminding the church here that this resurrection claim, it's not just something we just made up out of thin air here, but, you know, there were a lot of people there to corrobor corroborate, that's a hard word, but there, there are hundreds of people and, uh, who witnessed it and at the time of this writing, who were, most of whom were still alive. So it's all verifiable. And so uh, we jump down to verse 12. Evidently, some in the church had kind of been saying, yeah, but this resurrection business is kind of 
hard to believe. So Paul says this, okay, but if we're preaching that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your what? Your faith, right? More than that, we are then found to be liars about God. For we've said about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him from raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. So Paul seems to be kind of like over making his point here. He says this in verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep, that's just a nice way of saying they died in Christ are lost. For if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. <laughs> wow. So, our, our, in other words, our, our professor tweeter is kind of right, right? It, I mean, if this isn't really a kind of, yeah, I sort of believe in the resurrection kind of thing, right? It's, it's something that either demands an all-in or it's just nonsense. And that's the core of our faith. So, if someone ever asks you, you know, can you disprove Christianity? Sure, absolutely. If you can show me without a doubt that Jesus is still in the tomb. Well, then, yeah, of course, I, I would be lying about God to say otherwise. Interestingly, that's not happened. And for many of us, we have encountered this risen Jesus. Amen. And so we, we would agree with Paul that, yeah, if, if the professor's right, then we're really idiots here, right? Truly, but if the professor's wrong in just this one case, then this changes everything. I would just add something else too. Dead people do stay dead. That is almost always a true fact, right? That is the whole point of this day. That is the reason why this is exceptional by the very, you know, by the meaning of the term exceptional. It is the exception, right? Uh, the whole point of Jesus rising from the dead the fact that that goes against the usual live, die, stay dead, normal sequence of events, right? That's the normal way. If Jesus had just done something that was sort of rare, but it wasn't unheard of, that wouldn't have been that big a deal. And we wouldn't have gotten up this morning and skipped brunch, right? To come to church, right? We wouldn't be here today. The disciples would not have allowed themselves joyfully to be martyred and imprisoned and tortured and dragged out of their homes and crucified, you know, because Jesus showed up on the scene and said, guys, guess what? I lost like 15 pounds in 10 days. Ask me how, right? The, the God of the universe didn't become a human being to like give us a new workout technique or to like cure male pattern baldness or something like that. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. That's the reason we're here, right? And so that's just a little aside. So I always get a little, you know, uh, kick out of when people are like, come to me and they're sort of like with a gotcha moment. Like, you know, I don't know if you know this, but it's like dead people stay dead. Like, yes, I absolutely agree with you. That mostly dependable law of nature is why we are here celebrating today. Praise the Lord. And hunting Easter eggs after service. That's, I don't know if that's in the Bible or not, but we're doing it. All right. Now, here's where we, I want to look at something really kind of cool today. I want to unpack. It's in um, verse 20. Here it is. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 
For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, all die. Notice that phrase there, all die. That, the, the Greek word there means all, all, everybody. So every, every human being who's ever lived, without exception, including everybody here, this was now our fate right? This is now our fate because of Adam. Like, you know, sorry, but everybody dies. And, and until Jesus, it was like everybody died physically, spiritually. It was just a terrible thing. All died. So in Christ, all will be made alive. Well, that's interesting. He makes a similar point over in Romans 5. We don't have time to go there, but in verse 23, he says, but each in turn. So there's an order to this thing. And he says, Christ, the first fruits." And then later when he returns, the rest of us. So there's this order to this thing. Now, let me just really quickly touch on this concept of first fruits for a second. I want to talk about this idea of first fruits. You know, we live in Texas, so I'm sure everybody here just has like an incredible knowledge of farming, right? <laughs> right? Because you're, maybe not. Okay, so let me, let me just, let me just uh, put this in a way that helps me. First fruits. One thing that we do get if you live in Texas for more than one year is you learn about the wonderful season of summer. And summer lasts for seven months here in Houston, right? Where it's like 95 to 105 degrees and it's like 102% humidity. If that's possible, it is. It is in Houston. It's a beautiful thing. So we have a lot of humidity. And so that's just the way it is. We've learned to live with it. It's cute when we hear like other people in parts of the country talk about their hot summers, right? Aren't you kind of like, that's adorable, right? Because we have summer. And, but how many of you, you know, what happens every year, like in October-ish? There's that one day. It's a false friend. But it's one day, it, you walk outside, Oh, and it's so cool. It's like that cool snap. And you run, you get all the sweaters out of the attic, right? The next day, it's going to be 101 degrees again. But there's that one day. Okay, so here's what's funny. I was just talking to a friend of mine who is from Ohio. I've never lived in Ohio. Anybody from Ohio? Yeah, we have some Ohio people. Okay, so you guys hopefully can cooperate this. He says they have a similar reality, but it's in reverse. He says in Ohio, around the time of October, the clouds come in and they don't leave until April. And so for six months, the way he described where he lived in central Ohio was it is just this depressing, it's like 30 degrees outside, clouds, rain, and that's it for six months. And he just goes through it and it's awful. He says, but there comes a day and you never see it coming. It's right in the middle of everything. And it's usually like in February. He says there comes a day in February and it'll snow the day before and there'll be a blizzard the day after. But that one day, it'll be 65 degrees, he says, and you walk outside, and it's 65 degrees, and, and he just talks about the poor pasty masses of central Ohio, like, wander outside and soak up the sun for that one day, uh, you know, because they flock to the outdoors because it is that day of spring. Now, why do folks up north celebrate that one warm day in February? Same reason we Houstonians celebrate that one cool day in October, right? Because not only is it a relief from everything we've gone through, but it's the guarantee of something even greater and more permanent that's coming. It's the guarantee something like this is coming in the future. And that's what Paul is saying the resurrection of Jesus is. The resurrection of Jesus it wasn't, you know, hey guys, good news, I resurrected and so nobody has to die anymore. Fortunately, that's not true. But 
it's also not just a bunch of like warm feelings, some metaphorical new outlook on life that we have. No, no, no. The announcement is that Jesus was physically dead and then became physically alive, right? And that what God did there, he's going to do for the universe. Jesus was the spring day that arrived in the middle of a long, hard human winter. And that's not only a true taste of spring, but it's the guarantee that more is coming. The guarantee. And so the invitation for us is that we uh, would become people who, even in the winter, even in this long, hard spiritual winter, we live as though spring were here. And that's what it means to be the first fruits. And that is why Jesus that's why the, the, the accounts in the Gospels of the resurrection is so weird. If you go back and read, the, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you read the accounts of the resurrection, they are bizarre. They, they're, they're all like jumbled, and everyone's confused and, and shocked and scared because this was like a disruption. We, we get the idea because they were ancient people, like they were dumber than we are, like they thought people got resurrected all the time. No, they knew just as much as we do, this doesn't normally happen. So this was a disruption. It was like an intrusion that no one saw, saw coming. And so when you read the Gospels, it's like, what did you see? What, what, wait, what did you see? Wait, oh, was there one angel or two angels? I don't know. Wait, they, they saw Jesus walking on a road outside town. Well, we saw Jesus cooking fish on a beach right up in the Sea of Galilee. Well, the ladies, they, the women saw him in the garden. And well, we saw him up in the upper room in that inn in town. And wait, what the? And it's just weird, right? Because no one thought spring was going to come that way. And then what Jesus does, and this is the hardest thing, is Jesus shows them what spring is like, what it's going to be, and then he leaves them still in their winter. And so Jesus, he was here for 50 days, we're told, after he rose from the dead. Can you imagine that? 50 days. And then he's like, and I'm leaving. And Pilate is still ruling. Caesar's still on the throne. Rome is still in charge. There's still tax collectors everywhere, right? And, and for hundreds and thousands of years, you'll be waiting in this human winter. I mean, if that's you and Jesus tells you that, how bummed are you, right? Because you were like, Jesus is here. He rose from the dead. Spring is here. We're done, right? I mean, this is the new thing. Heaven on earth. This is the new project. Let's get started. We're launching new t- creation today. And Jesus is like, well, yes, but we're going to do it in a way that no one expected. See, everybody thought back then that that spring day would come and then spring would be here and that the resurrection would come and everybody would get resurrected. That was the Jewish teaching that when the Messiah came, everybody gets resurrected. But 2,000 years later, winter is still here. And, And this last year, I mean, if you follow the news, we have groaned under the weight of it, like, like never before, violence and strife and war, ecological disaster, economic disaster, social confusion, political turmoil. And, and so we're groaning in this. The, the Bible even talks about how all of creation groans, as in, as in a, a woman waiting for childbirth, right? That's the way it describes it, this groaning that is happening. But the resurrection of Jesus it isn't just good news, guys, that, that we all get to have life after death, although that's true. 
the resurrection of Jesus is the glimpse today of the promise of new creation that's on the way. It's a glimpse today of promise of new creation. And so there's this common way of, of looking at the gospel. And uh, there's two ways of looking at the gospel. And I want to look at the first way and kind of kind of poke at it a little bit um, this morning. Check out this chart. Um, yes, I know what you're thinking. Yes, I was hoping there's going to be charts on Easter morning. Sweet. My kind of church. Okay. Now, the traditional uh, modern Western just religious story that I heard and probably many of you maybe grew up with of what, what is the good news of Jesus? Well, the good news of Jesus is this. I, I live on earth. Um, I'm going to die and I'm going to face judgment. And depending on which denomination you came out of, uh, I either need to believe the right things, you know, up here, or I need to live the right way, or I need to be baptized in the right community, or I need to be baptized using the right ritual, um, or I need to use the exact right words or the right spiritual experience, something. But however that works, I'm either eternally destined to heaven or hell. And that's assuming Christianity is true, because if you look at a lot of other religions, they have a very similar chart to this too. So I grew up basically believing that this, this is the story of the Bible. The problem is, it's actually not the Bible's whole story of the Bible. There are parts of that story that are true, for sure. But how does the Bible begin? Next chart. Ah, you're going, honey, more charts. Ah, the nerds in the room are excited. The Bible begins, see, with creation and like this overlap of heaven and earth. See, it doesn't begin in Genesis 3. It begins in Genesis 1, which is a beautiful picture, right? And overlap of heaven and earth in Genesis 1 and 2. And then what happens in Genesis 3 through 11, there's like this sort of rap, this uh, rupture, this sin and death into the world. And now heaven is referred to God's space and the earth is like our space and they still overlap, but it's, uh, it's different. Now we have to have temples and priests and sacrifices, and the, there's a whole different intimacy that's available now. It's just all different. And then Jesus comes, and he comes proclaiming what? Does he come proclaiming, hey, guys, guess what? I'm going to get you into heaven. Actually, no. Jesus comes and proclaims, guess what, guys? The kingdom of heaven has come here. And then he shows us what the kingdom of heaven looks like by the way he lives, the words he says. He demonstrates this kingdom of heaven, right? And he shows us that this is God's will on earth as it is in heaven. This is what God's will looks like when it comes. And it looks like Jesus of Nazareth. And, and then he comes and he proclaims, he, he proclaims the, the renewal of things. Now, how does the Bible end? Well, the Bible ends in the book of Revelation. And uh, the last chapters of the book of Revelation, Revelation 21 and 22, it ends, it turns out, the same way it began in Genesis. It says, for I saw a new heaven and a new earth and a new city, which is the church, by the way, coming down from heaven to earth. So this is interesting. This is the trajectory of the biblical story. It's not us leaving. It is heaven coming. This is the story. And, and if you don't buy this or you don't, you know, maybe this is new to you or something like that, that's great. Just study the text, study the scriptures and, and see for yourself if, if the Bible is primarily answering the question, how does God get people to heaven? Now, heaven is real. 
absolutely, right? Heaven is real. Um, but the thing is, heaven is just the first stop on a round trip, a round trip journey, right? Heaven's just stop one because the Bible ends with human beings here in new creation with these like resurrected bodies, just like Jesus had, like doing, I guess, human things and being with our God. Now notice something else. In that first version of the gospel, you don't actually need resurrection. You don't need the resurrection, right? The old story is kind of the way the old story is told is, you know, all we need is Jesus to die. We just need Jesus to die, and then we're all set, because for some reason, God was really angry, and he just really, you know, someone needed to pay, and Jesus was like, God, don't hurt him, I'll do it, and so he took the pay, and so now it doesn't really matter, I'm all good, it doesn't matter what happens to the planet, it doesn't matter what I do really here on earth, because I'm just waiting around for my spirit to fly off to heaven, right? The new story, this story, um, what I think is the more biblical story, requires resurrection. It requires Easter Sunday, right? Why? Because this is the final bit of the story, the resurrection and the, and the reconciliation of all things that's going to happen at the end of the age, that final bit. It's a glimpse of that coming forward right now, like a glimpse of spring. Now, you may be thinking, all right, Scott, this is great theory. How in the world does this help me live my life? Well, let's go to 2 Corinthians, my friends. All right, 2 Corinthians. Here we go. I'm excited. Me and like maybe three others. We're excited. Okay. It's okay. I'm all right. I'm just a dude standing in front of a girl asking if I'm ugly. Here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Here we go. Now, this makes new creation personal. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what? New creation has come. Oh, this is cool. See, Christ rising from the dead, that's like the, that glimpse of new creation. But now he says, if anyone's in Christ, that's you and me, new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who gives us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us, what? The message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Whoa. So what does that mean for us as Christians? Are we just sitting around here waiting for our spirits to fly off to heaven? No, it means we are not just here existing without purpose, waiting around for heaven. We have been given the, the highest calling there is, being ambassadors, ambassadors of this new creation image bearers of God himself, right? We, we, we get to be the proclaimers of the good news that even though it's the middle of winter, spiritually speaking, Jesus is the living spring day himself, and he has come, and he is coming again. Spring is coming. And that is why we don't just sit huddled up waiting for heaven. And we sure don't just sit huddled up in our little groups protecting ourselves from the world out there, right? And we sure aren't supposed to, you know, Christians argue about all the petty issues that the world argues about and, and be grasping for petty little positions of power and petty little kingdoms. Oh my goodness, no, because we are citizens of a new and better kingdom. Yeah. Amen? We're ambassadors of a new creation, ambassadors of a new creation. 
So this, this means that we are different. We really are. It, we're, we're odd. We, we are odd. We are strange, right? In the new creation, we are shown a glimpse of it throughout the Gospels. It says in the new creation, every tongue, every tribe, every nation will be gathered together singing the praises of God. And so we are people who care about every tongue and tribe and nation. In the new creation, no one will go without. And so we are the people who care about people who go without. In the new creation, no one's going to rank themselves, right? Can you imagine, like, we're all bowing down to Jesus, right? And there's this one guy who's like, dude, Jesus, I just want you to know, I made VP at my company at like age of 30, so kind of a big deal. You'd be like, dude, who cares? Like, dude, dude, what are you doing, right? No one is going to care. And so we are the people who, like, don't care ahead of time about ranking each other's importance. Amen? Amen? We are the people who are, like, colossally unimpressed with each other. Amen? And my family embodies this toward me personally. My kids (laughs) are galactically unimpressed with me. Um, but, But we are the vanguard of spring, In a world that's hopelessly divided, hopelessly angry, hopelessly despairing, we we don't walk into the room like heroes. We don't walk in as people who have all the answers on how to fix everything. No. But we come into it as people who simply have the announcement, it won't always be this way. It won't always be this way. And none of this has the last word. And I don't know when he'll redeem it. I don't know how he'll redeem it. I just know he will redeem it. He'll redeem it all. Amen. That's good news. Which is is why Christ has to continually remind us. And I'm speaking to myself, and and particularly maybe I'm I'm speaking to Christians in the room for for a second. If if you're not really a Christ follower, you're kind of like, I don't know about this. That's cool. Just let me me sort of pick on Christians for a second. we don't, guys, we don't need to live in fear. Right, we don't need to live in fear if this is right. We don't need to rage and howl when the least little right of ours is threatened. Who cares? Right? We don't need to lash out at sinners for threatening our way of life as if we were on this planet for any other reason than to minister and to love and minister salvation to sinners right? That's why we're here. So we don't need to fear what people do to us or say about us. We don't need to respond to every insult. That's fine, right? We don't have to worry about what they take from us because none of that stuff matters. We are here to be image bearers of the God who loves sinners, to follow in the footsteps. We follow in the footsteps of a Messiah who offered himself as a servant to people that despised him. That, and he ultimately died for them, right? That's the Jesus we have the honor of following. I was reading the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is the story of the early church, like the very, I mean, the little, the baby church, like just being born. And it's so inspiring, and yet it's so kind of discouraging to me sometimes too. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I just get mad at the book of Acts, and I throw it down. Because the, the church in the book of Acts is so unstoppable. 
They're so unstoppable. They get imprisoned. They get lied about. They get beat. They get thrown in jail. They get drug out of their home and crucified. And they just pray for more boldness. They pray for more joy and courage to be able to proclaim the gospel. The church of Acts is so unstoppable. And sometimes it just feels like the church of America is so stoppable, right? We're so brittle and fragile. If the worst that can be done to you isn't the last thing that is done to you, then what do we have to be afraid of? What do we have to be afraid of? Which is why even this right here is so important. What we're doing right here, this, this weekly gathering of people who we come together, we remind each other that spring has come and is coming. Amen. And because winter is still very real out there, then we, we come here and we also encourage one another and we love on each other and we comfort one another. We spur one another on to be people who are full of relentless hope. It's so important. So, today, uh, maybe I, my prayer for us, uh, my fellow brothers and sisters, my prayer for us is my, just for courage for you and for me. Because these days are hard. These are hard days. They're unprecedented, for sure. And yet, we have an opportunity to testify of something so much greater Am I right? Yes. yes, yes. Okay, and now, to those of you who maybe you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian, um, maybe you were at one time, but kind of you feel really far from God right now. Maybe you're somebody who has kind of been stung by Christians. You've been stung by the church. You've been, you felt judged by religious people. First of all, I want to say I am sorry for what happened to you. On behalf of judgy Christians everywhere, I repent for that. But what I want to invite you to say yes to today isn't to join a religion. It's not to switch political affiliations. It's not to sign a membership card to our church or anything like that. What I want to invite you to say yes to today is Jesus. To just say yes to Jesus. Yes to spring. Yes to hope. Yes to new life. Yes to new creation. And in a second, we're going to take communion. We have these little elements here. And um, it's just a, a, you know, a tiny little wafer and, and a little sip of juice. But to us, it represents something so much bigger. What we're doing here is we're signing up for a revolution. A revolution, right? We're not interested in anybody going through the motions. Who has time for that? right? You don't have time for that. We're not interested in that. Who, who, what we're saying yes to today is joining new creation that is breaking out and has been breaking out across the planet since that very first morning when the stone rolled away from the grave and God walked out alive. I think there's a whole bunch of us that just really yearn to be part of something real, something genuine, something that really matters, and that's the invitation of Jesus. And look, if you're here, again, it, and you're not convinced, I totally get it. I totally get it. There's no pressure from us. And I'm not going to try to strong arm you or anything like that. We believe, uh, we're people who actually believe that we are all of us being drawn and you could say wooed or enticed, not by some kind of super impressive sermon, right, or like manipulative music and, and a fog machine or anything like that. <laughs> No, no, no. We believe that 
we are being enticed by the Holy Spirit. That's his job. We're just the proclaimers of good news. It's the Holy Spirit's job to speak to you. And so if you are here and you're feeling God tug at your heart, I would encourage you to say yes to him because he loves you. He loves you. On the screen is just, it's a simple prayer. It's not a magic prayer or anything like that. It's just a simple prayer uh, that you can pray right now between you and God. You can, for, and for you, praying this prayer wherever you are in life, this might be a perfect next right step for you to take. In fact, can we just maybe, in solidarity, can we all pray this together? If you're a Christian, let's pray it together. If you're somebody that this is, this is resonating with you and you're like, yeah, I want to take this step, I encourage you to pray this. No, pr- no pressure at all if, if you don't want to pray. But let's do this together. Dear God, today I say yes to your invitation to experience eternal life with you. Thank you for Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the grave. I repent of my sins and humbly ask for your forgiveness. Fill me with your spirit and teach me to live and love like Jesus does. Today, I am a new creation and the old is passed away. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. And then if... uh, and one of the ways that Christians for, for thousands of years now that we have followed up on that decision is we do this simple ritual called uh, baptism. Baptism, water baptism, it's just this physical demonstration that declares to the world, I have died to my old way of life. I've left it behind. I'm now part of new creation. I'm now part of the family of God. I'm not God's slave or his servant. I'm one of his children. I mean, that's amazing. And so we're going to have a water baptism service next week. It'll be after the service next week. I would just encourage everybody who would like to be, participate to, to join us in that. Maybe you've been a Christian a long time, you've just never been water baptized. That's cool. Um, or if, you're, if you are just making a decision uh, to follow Jesus today, to put your faith and your trust in Jesus today, next week will be a great time for you to come and join us in this. And um, you can let us know. You can let them know at the Welcome Center or, or look on our website or, go to, or text us or call us or anywhere any of the, the ways you want to, uh, just let us know, and uh, we'll, we'll give you some next steps to do that. So today, as we hold the bread and the cup, and you could be getting that ready here, and no matter what denomination you are from or you are in today, uh, we want you to feel totally welcome to celebrate this with us. We're celebrating as family. Um, even though we may not know each other yet, we are family. We are bonded to this relentless sense of hope that it won't always be this way, right? We are united and bonded regardless of our political persuasions or income levels or any of that dumb stuff. We're bonded, we're united. We're bonded together by the realization that God has drawn near and he has not given up on human life. He has not given up on the earth. He's not given up on you or your family. And we're the people who are hungry for spring. And so, as you're holding this in your hand, let me pray for us, and then we'll take this together. Will you bow your head with me? Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful to be part of a family that is millions and, and billions strong of people in so many languages, so many accents and tribes and corners of the earth, Lord God. 
a family with all different sorts of music and words who are just simply reveling this morning in the idea that you have risen from the dead, that you have conquered death and you have given birth to hope. So Lord, we want to join with that family right here. We take the bread and the cup and we do so in remembrance of you, but also in anticipation that spring is coming. And so we pray Lord, just as the the Bible ends in Revelation with these words, we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We hunger to see the world put back to the way you intended it to be. And until then, God, we volunteer for the revolution. We ask that you would empower us to be courageous in these days, loving toward others, not just our friends, but toward our enemies. In the name of the crucified and resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Amen. So my brothers and sisters, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you in this day that we're living in. May he lift his countenance and pour out his mercy and his love. Grace and peace be with you.